Hey, and welcome back to the Young Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. Let's get right into it. We've got a very special, long-awaited episode, something I've been wanting to do for a while, and I finally found somebody who's uh, kind of, you know, into it the same amount as I am. I've got a great guest. You guys have definitely met him. Well, not met him, but you've heard him before on two previous episodes. It's the fantastic Sam Smith. Um... Yeah, he's he's back with us for his third round. Last time we tried to talk tools, but it ended up a little bit more philosophy. So, you know, if you can't beat him, join him. We're gonna we're gonna go into the philosophy side a little bit more. We're gonna be talking about the maker movement, and um, yeah, it's gonna be good. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I'm excited for this one. <clears throat> so, sorry guys. Um. The maker movement, let's let's start with the maker movement and then we'll get into some more, you know, kind of personal stuff and we'll see how this goes. Uh, this episode is kind of unprecedented, so you guys will have to, you know, DM the Young Makers Podcast Instagram and tell us what you think about it. So I, I had to do some reading about this myself because, you know, I'm part of the maker movement. I'm a maker. I run the Young Makers Podcast, but I wasn't educated you know, kind of about the finer points of it. And I'm still not. I, I spent, you know, a couple, read a couple articles about it. And it's so much more than I ever thought. Now, most people attribute the beginning of the maker movement to the first issue of, I can't remember if it's Make or Maker Magazine. I think it's Make Magazine, which came out in 2005, which just so happens to be when I was born. So, I mean, I've been, this has been leading up to this. And so what that magazine did is it opened up this whole world of making on a way bigger level. And it's something that had been coming for a little while, right? Um, People were starting to build their own computers in the 90s and the 80s. So like this idea of joining technology and making things together has sort of been building for a while. And then, you know, in the 2000s, it kind of coalesced into something real. And... I think that it's something that the world had been looking for for a long, long time. Now, if you think about it, humans have been making things for, making things by hand for, I mean, who knows how many, maybe four, six thousand years, something like that. So it's so deeply ingrained in us. And, you know, we made things by hand all the way up until, you know, the 19th century. I mean, up till that point, Though the idea of a factory wasn't a thing so much as somebody would drop off raw materials at a bunch of houses and then the people that lived there would turn those raw materials by hand into, you know, socks or whatever. You know, you drop off the wool at all the pe- people's houses. They'd make, they'd knit it into whatever and then you'd come by and pick it up and that was like mass manufacturing and then you'd sell it, right? And so we've been you know, buying things and making things for ourselves and within the village was its own unit where you're, you know, everything is made by your neighbors. And we completely lost touch with that around the 18th century and the 19th century with the onset of the Industrial Revolution. And all of a sudden, things could be made by all these new machines that people were, people were making. And they were made faster and faster, you know, in some places, qua- you know, quality checks were less and less as you wanted to get more out at a cheaper price. And with that came consumerism. You know, back in the day, you would go to a cobbler to get your shoes. They'd fit it to your feet. They'd make your shoes. And then you'd wear those most of your life. And you'd get those fixed because they're yours. They were made for you. All of a sudden with these factories, shoe sizes became a thing, you know. And you'd buy shirts and stuff not tailored for you, not made by your mother, but made in a factory and it's you know one size fits all and so we lost touch with that handmade that personal aspect of it and so moving forward we come up through you know the 20th century and everything is just becoming more and more mass-produced not even in your own country anymore now it's almost all exported because it's depending on wherever it's cheaper to produce and so shipping and planes began to make that even easier and we lost touch with it another step and then finally uh, you know, around 2000, 
or even in the 70s, I guess, would have been the very beginning. But then by, you know, 2000, 2005, you start to have the maker movement come back and we're beginning to regain touch with these handmade and personal objects. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, man. I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. I didn't really think about that, uh, how kind of what we lost, you know, in the industrial revolution, you know, bringing it into the digital age. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, well, I'm, I think so. I'm taking European history class, and so we spent a lot of time talking about that. And I think it's something glossed over when you look at history, because it's not something you think about. But what we did learn in that class is that it destroyed the society and the societal structures that had been in place before that. It tore apart the traditional family unit, how it used to be, with your children working with you on your farm or wherever. It tore apart traditional, and I'm not saying that traditional gender roles are the best, but it did. It tore apart all these thousands of years of how things had been. And so we touch on that, and I think that a lot of that comes down to the things that were made and the things that you owned and their meaningfulness to you. And that compounded on the tearing apart of the family unit and all the stuff. The Industrial Revolution, for all the good technology and, you know, medicine and stuff that it gave us, it did have a serious impact on, I mean, the way the world was. And things have never gone back, which is, you know, good and bad. But we're, we're taking a look at it now and seeing some of the things that we lost. I think, yeah, you put it well, things we lost. Yeah, I mean, that's... I guess that's interesting, like how that led to more of a movement of people wanting to produce things themselves and like this this idea of self-reliance that's always been there, but kind of, you know, didn't really think about that in a way that's, you know, making things yourself again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is, I think it's signifying a fundamental shift in the way a lot of people look at things. I, it's just growing, I think. And the more people that are making things makes more people that are buying handmade things because it sort of opens you up to the fact that it exists. I mean, yeah, like with uh, like handmade kitchen knives, there's been a huge movement among chefs that just prefer like, you know, something handmade, you know, usually Damascus or something like that because the amount of time and effort and just like love that goes into each piece is so much more important to them than, you know, something that's mass produced and it just makes their work better. So I think that that's something that's kind of, you know, wholesome that's come out of the maker movement for sure yeah i think you're completely right and i don't think that really existed 20 years ago not that i was around 20 years ago (laughs) but you know when you look at it and what people say is that really wasn't a thing so it definitely is this big change and what's different about making today and i'm sure i'm sure you'll be able to speak on this is making is not the same as it was 300 years ago like like i've been saying it's it's modernized right and it's right now makers are trying to find their place in this modern world um and like you we've all seen the power of the internet i mean what how did how did you get into you know blacksmithing and pottery and whatnot yeah i mean it was 100 percent like youtube like i uh i think probably the first Thing that got me into blacksmithing was like early Alex Steele videos like I saw those and I was just like that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life I want to do that you know I was 14 and so that kind of set me down on this path because like you know once once you make something like that and then see you know the power of you know taking something from your mind and then making it you know whether it's good or not it doesn't really matter but the ability that you have to kind of control that and make something is just so it, it just feels so nice, you know, especially because we live, you know, in a digital age. And since we've been born, you know, we had phones and computers and stuff. And so we're always kind of away from, I think, this reality, like the reality of making things, I guess. Like we don't really have to do that. And there's so many things that are out of our control, like digitally, like we don't control, you know, the spaces that we're on online. And we don't really control, you know, that we had to go to school and stuff like that. But when you actually have control over making something and like the space that you have around that, it's just, it it really changed something in me and made me realize how much I love this because it kind of gave me that thing that I feel like I've 
I had lost in some way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel you. I mean, the first time you make something by hand and it comes out nice is... It's always the first time. It's not going to be the last, right? Because... And I think it is something that's within within us. Like, when you when you make something, it, it awakens a certain part of that creative part of your brain. And it's like a drug. You have to... That response that you get from finishing something is almost addictive. And I feel like also something that goes into it is kind of the self-reliance aspect of it. Because it's, it's nice, like, being able to... Like, with blacksmithing especially, I feel like it's so so useful like I foraged a ton of hooks you know just put them around my house just you know to hang things on and I, there's just something about that like using something that you made every day that just feels very wholesome and just it connects you with like these materials even more yeah it's the best it's the best feeling I made uh, so I mean my steel shipment didn't get here this week I've I contacted them and they're sending it out it was you know somewhere lost along the way and so I had yesterday free, and I made ramen from scratch. I didn't do, I didn't do the broth from scratch, but I made noodles um, without a pasta machine, which was, that was hard. And I made, you know, but I cut a lot of things with a knife that I just recently finished, and, like, using that to cook felt really awesome. I've always loved using my, using my knives to cook. And yeah, it yeah, really, uh, things you made. It, it makes the process better, I feel like. And you know what? It's so tactile. And I mm-hmm. think, so another thing that I think the main theme of my European history course, and I'm talking about it quite a bit because it's where all my understanding of trends through humanity is coming from right now is that class because it's, it's AP, so it's supposed to be like some type of fancy, almost university level, but not quite. You get university. It's a weird class. But anyways, um, our biggest thing that we talk about is continuity and change and how things react to each other. And how art specifically reacts to the environment at the time, the social environment at the time. So we'll see things like during the Industrial Revolution, Romanticism came around where people all of a sudden were painting, you know, things from the medieval times. They were painting old churches with trees. They were painting more natural things. And that was a reaction to the industrialized times. And so looking at today, and especially with young people like us, when you're born... We see a lot, but we touch so little, you know? And everything that we have is, like, it's all the same. You spend a lot of time on a computer or on the phone, and it's all sort of disconnected from you. But when you make something specifically with your hands, like, it's different than coding or anything because you're you're in contact. It's tactile. You feel all of the things going on, and you're seeing it, and you're smelling it, and... You know, so it's something that's acting upon all the senses, whereas so often it's only sight in our in our modern like lives that we've been living. Yeah, I feel like that that analog aspect of it really is something that drew me towards it because you know, like you said, you can feel it, you can smell it, and it's like it's it's so hard to I guess get distracted, especially with blacksmithing, you know, when you're holding something that's, you know, almost two thousand degrees. It's so hard to, you know, be thinking about other things and your mind is just like fully there. Or, you know, with me with pottery, like I just kind of tune in and then, you know, batch things out. And it's just so, it's just so nice to kind of be disconnected. And especially when you have your own space, like I know you have your own shop and I have my studio in my garage. And it's like having your own space and having kind of this locus of control in this area really is just a change of pace, I guess, from always being online where you don't really, you know, control your experience anywhere near as much. Oh, I think that's that's a really excellent point is, yeah, we don't control anything. Everything is controlled in our lives right now. I mean, especially with COVID, actually, if you look at it, you know, now it's not even just the normal things that have, you know, always been controlled by government and stuff, but it's, you know, we're going through these lockdowns. The Internet is... Yeah, you're not in control of anything on the internet. I mean, there's always something out of your power. So yeah, having that sphere of influence where, you know, you control what's going on in your shop, you're making this thing that is coming from you and from your mind that you are controlling is completely satisfying. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, especially like like you said, like 
how you don't control things on the internet. It's like, it goes past that, I think, because if you look at social media, like, you know, you're the product and the, the ad agencies are the um, uh, consumer, right? Uh, so it's kind of interesting, like thinking about that because it's not really that you don't control it as much as like it's controlling you, which I, th I think about a lot. Like I have to kind of curb my, you know, I spend like too much time on Instagram sometimes and I kind of have to be really mindful of that because it's designed from the ground up to keep you on there as long as possible, to show you as many ads as possible, right? So it's like designed wow. to be addictive. So kind That's... of tuning out of that and making something, especially at our age, I feel like is not something that is like light, I guess. It like has had such an incredible impact on my mental health, my physical health and stuff, just being able to understand that there's a world outside of that, if that makes sense. And that sounds like a really young person thing to say, but like... Oh, that's such a fantastic point. Yeah, everything is made to control you. And, oh man, you, you really stunned me with that. <laughs> uh, you are the product? That's... Wow, I'm rethinking everything in my life right now. So <laughs> forgive me if I'm having trouble making a cohesive thought, but... Yeah. Yeah, I... <laughs> That's such. A, oh, I'm really. Yeah, but it's, I'm going through what you just said again, and like every time I get to the next sentence, I'm shocked again. Um, that's such a great point. And as young, like you know, we're under. We're both under twenty. So in the last twenty years, cell phones and the internet has been, I mean, completely dominant in everything that we do. So having a complete like separation from that is so great. And yeah, I'll often come home and realize that I didn't look at the internet all day after a day of mm -hmm. work. It's a fantastic Whereas, feeling. You know, when I'm at school and stuff, I'll, I'm glancing at it all the time. I'm, you know, checking what's going on. And so that separation and that release, that release from everything else that's going on around you, because our lives are more complicated than, you know, for how much more comfortable and easy they are, they're more complicated and we have more things going on and more things to think about than any other people, you know, that ever lived, even though it's more inconsequential things, right? We're not thinking about how we're going to be fed. We're not thinking about, you know, we're not thinking about, you know, what the crop yields are going to be this year. Way more things and like more you know, different things instead of just living. And so having that separation from that where you're focused on one single thing is just a complete release and that's why when I'm out of the shop for a while I get irritable and anxious and you know things start to things start to go off the rails a little bit I mean yeah it's definitely an anxiety outlet for me for sure because it's like alone time and then you know I usually have like an audiobook or something going and it's just a time where I can really kind of tune in whereas any time that I spend or not any time but most of the time I spend online is kind of mindless where I just kind of tune out. And I feel like our generation is so used to that, but also the generation um, above us or, you know, previous to us was very, like work was seen as something that you had to do. And it still is a little bit, but you know, we're kind of called the passion economy these days because work is becoming less of a thing. Like there's more people pursuing their dreams than, um, you know, the baby boomers. So whereas their lives were kind of this, you know, I'm going to work until I'm 65, then I'm going to retire, and then I'm going to live. I feel like our generation is kind of realizing a lot earlier that there's so much more to life than that. And the way that I kind of, you know, live my life, kind of tune in, is through making things. Because when I'm growing as an artist, or and when I'm, you know, away from a computer, it just really makes me feel like I'm living. Because... You know, I'm appreciating the sunlight coming in and how it hits the clay. And, you know, I'm watching how the moisture levels in the clay are changing. And it's just all of these things. And, you know, I have plants all over my studio. And it just feels very peaceful in a world that is very hectic. So it just kind of reminds me, you know, to just live my life and be in the present moment more than anything else that I do in my life. That's a really, that's a really interesting interpretation. I just want to go a step back to where you started with... Um, the idea of it being a passion economy and 
I mean, the way you seem to look at it is that that's a choice that we're making to almost, yeah, follow your dreams at an earlier age. Whereas I don't think it's a choice. I think it's, I think it's a fundamental change in the way the world works now. Where back in the day, labor, labor and time was, I mean, the basic currency, right? There's, you needed people to run an assembly line. You needed people to do the work. Whereas now, it's, we live in a world where labor is, it's plentiful and it's cheap. You can have robots do most of it and a program do the rest of it. So labor no longer holds value. So being somebody who can do labor doesn't, you know, make you valuable anymore. Whereas, like, that passion, like you mentioned, is something that, you know, can't be manufactured. It's something that, while you can manufacture everything else, it's one thing that, like, remains solely to people. And I think that's only going to get to more as AI becomes, you know, stronger and can think through more complicated problems then thinking won't even be, you know, like logical thinking won't even have that value that it holds right now. It'll be all passion because it's the only thing that you can't replicate in a program, right? So you have to be a person who's passionate and a person who is doing something different than anybody else. Otherwise, you will fail. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, there's this quote I can't think of it exactly, but it's by Alan Watts, who was a philosopher in the 60s and 70s. And it was some quote that was like, in the future, there's going to be a time where people are going to be paid not to work because of machines. And we're going to have to find some way for our society to run that isn't based on productivity. And I think that's just great because I fall into the trap of trying to be productive, you know, every second of my life. And it really has helped me. But there are times that I'm, I really like beat myself up about not you know, producing enough or, you know, stuff like that. And I kind of have to drop back and realize, like, it's not about, you know, being a machine. The whole point of this is not to not be a machine. I need to, like, you know, slow down, do the best work that I can, and, you know, try to tune into that artist's kind of path. Yeah, yeah, and I think art, artist won't be, like, a frowned upon uh, career choice in the future. It'll be the only career choice. <laughs> And that probably won't be in our lifetime. You know, you'll still have engineers and stuff in our lifetime, but, you know, it'll get to a point where creativity is the only currency that matters. And I don't know how our society is going to cope with with that idea. I mean, although we didn't think we would make it through the Industrial Revolution, every, like, nobody thought they'd have a job by the end of it because now a machine can make it. But it ended up with, you know, more jobs thanks to factories. Although I don't know if the jobs were as fulfilling as before. Um, but there was more. Will this... It's another industrial revolution, right? Because to qualify as an industrial revolution, you need a new form of transport, a new form of communication, and a new source of energy, I think, is the three that you need. So we've got renewable energy, electric cars... And um, and the internet for communication. So I think I think that qualifies right now as a third industrial revolution. And will it make more jobs? And what will jobs look like? I don't know. But I really like making knives. So you know, I'm I'm out here making knives and hoping that society will form around me to support me. Um, and I think that's what sort of all of us are doing right now is sort of picking what we want to do and hoping that it will be valued because we don't really know what's going to be valued in a time where you know labor is no longer valuable and you know even like traditional currencies are starting to lose value things things are not looking good so our generation is all of a sudden so much craftier not just i mean making crafts but you know crafty as in making up jobs never before have you been able to make up a job so easily and like create a new industry and i think it's what our generation has to do oh that my grandma said that she she brought up something about yeah this generation is so much you know we're heads are down and we're working because it's so saturated 
and there's not that much work to do. You have to make a place for yourself, if that makes sense. In a, rambly, yeah, in a rambly roundabout way where I went through two or three thoughts in that one statement, but I hope that makes a little sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Like, definitely figuring out how you can kind of, uh, you know, be creative in this world in the digital age is something that's really valuable. And I do think that, you know, in the future, everything you said was, you know, how art, being an artist is going to be the only thing to do. I think that's true maybe for our kids or their kids or something like that. And there's still kind of these remnants of, you know, uh, baby boomers saying like, you know, you have to go to college, get a job, you know, have kids and then retire. Your kids support you and then you live. Right. And I think that that's way too. It's just it's not going to work out. Right. And there's so many people that do that and they just don't find fulfillment and that. It's just, you know. It's really sad the way that our society kind of runs that way. And I feel like, you know, definitely more people are realizing, like what you said, that kind of tuning into this uh, creativity that everybody has in one way or another and doing things that they want to do is just going to be so valuable in the future. Yeah, and authenticity. In a world where there's so many people that can do the same thing and machines that can do the same thing, authenticity is going to be so huge too. Yeah. You have to find your your niche. Yeah, because like, you know, I'm sure you felt it, like trying to compete, I guess, with, you know, mass-produced things or, you know, factories that do the same thing that you're doing is kind of a daunting thing to think about. And I don't think that we're at a, at a point as a society yet that we value handmade things enough and understand kind of what goes into that. Like you said, it's so saturated. There's so many, there's so many things that are just kind of labeled as handmade, even though they're not. And I think in the future, when we kind of realize the social and economic impact of you know huge, huge companies like Amazon and stuff like that, and like what's that doing, you know, you know, causing consumerism first off, but also like we're kind of losing touch with quality things, if that makes sense. So, I think for sure the handmade item movement you know people wanting things that are handmade is going to get just bigger and bigger over our lifetime yeah yeah i think that's a good point and you mentioned um schooling like well you touched briefly but i want to seize on it um you mentioned that the traditional career path or life path is go to school go to more school and then get your good job because you went to university and we live in a time where there's I've I'm seeing it as I'm starting to prepare myself and look at the world for university and stuff um, and starting to think about that I'm seeing this change and talking about my talking to my parents about it and stuff we we've seen that there's almost a divide starting to form whereas back in the day yeah if you got a university degree or a college degree you could get a job now it's a university degree is going to be like a high school diploma where it's the it's going to be like a high school diploma where it's the bare minimum to get you can go the artist path which is also i think going to become larger and larger as time goes on where school doesn't matter to you so much you have to tap into yourself and so it's going to go you know one or two ways you have to either be so highly educated or you have to be you know completely separated from that idea yeah and i think that that's kind of a really scary thing for artists especially young artists in this time because it's like kind of it's, it's a huge decision when we're young like you know like 18 19 trying to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life it's really it's really scary and it's kind of hard to have that foresight but when you're doing something that you love like you know as a hobby and then you know, working to try to make it your career. It's certainly very, you know, something very scary to think about. But I do believe that more and more jobs are, or it's it's expected that you're going to have a college degree. And so, you know, seeing people online, like uh, YouTubers or people that made their career, like on Instagram or something like that, is just so attractive to me. But <laughs> it's so difficult doing that now because it's, 
I mean, it's always been difficult, but now it's so incredibly saturated. Like, I was reading the stats earlier. I can't remember what they were, but there's like, you know, hundreds of thousands of hours of YouTube content being uploaded every minute, right? And then TikTok has like millions of videos uploaded every uh, like 30 seconds or something like that. It's just crazy to think about just how many people are out there trying to kind of do the same things. But something that's kind of helped me get over that anxiety a little bit has been to realize that we kind of have an unfair advantage because a lot of what we do, there's a huge barrier to entry, right? Like knife making, massive barrier to entry. You know, you have to know how to use a forge, which is dangerous, a belt sander, which is dangerous, how to properly, you know, protect yourself from wood dust and bronze dust and steel dust, which is, you know, dangerous, stuff like that. And there's equipment that you need. And that's all an unfair advantage that you have over other people. So, you know, when you produce content on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or whatever, you're showing people, you know, showing people your work. And that's good for us because we have this skill that other people don't have. And it's really, I don't know, I, I just really like that idea that as long as I'm creating the best that I can create and I'm like mentally healthy with creating, like it's not burning me out, that I can, you know, it's sustainable long term. Whether I can make a living on it or not, it's at least I can continue doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and with that, there comes an element of luck. You know, now you can't just get famous on uh, social media platforms solely through sheer force of will. I mean, you almost just need to get discovered and blow up. It's it, There's definitely an element of luck to it now, as it a becomes huge more and more luck, yeah. saturated. Um, and, like, you mentioned with the content creation, and I want to go back to an earlier point you made. That's a point where you're the product again. But this time, instead of Instagram selling you to ad companies, it's yourself selling you, well, to, yeah, advertisers. You can sell your platform that you have to them to advertise on. And you're selling yourself to these people. You know, when you post a video or a picture of yourself doing something, you're almost selling that picture for likes. So that is now that, true, yeah. that adds a whole nother level of, at this point, that authenticity is the currency and you are the product, almost. I think we're, actually, we're starting to dial in onto a good point, I think. We're, we're half an hour in and we're starting to see where we're going. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm kind of the worst for being all over the place with my ideas, especially in this. You know, this whole philosophy of, what I do and what I'm trying to do and where I want to go is something I think about so often. So sometimes it's hard for me to focus myself and put it into a concentrated thought. So I hope you guys, I hope you guys aren't having too hard a time following this episode. I'm a little bit haphazard with it. And um, I hope you guys are ready to see more of this stuff too. I'd, I know we're only halfway into the episode, but I can tell already we're only scratching the surface of the thoughts that we may have. So Sorry for interrupting the flow of the conversation. See, this is my exact. This is exactly what I mentioned. Um, but yeah, sorry for interrupting the flow. Back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Um, I made sure to get some quotes here. Well, okay, I tried to find quotes. I found one because I know you have. You always have good quotes for this kind of stuff. So I wanted to <laughs> be able to compete a little bit. Um, and it's from. Actually, I want to plug this right now. Traditionalbuilding.com I just discovered today when I was trying to research for this. And Patrick Webb wrote an article here. And in it, he says that, ooh, where is it? Craft is the very embodiment of the past. Um, and then he goes on to talk about how you're, you're bringing the past into the modern day through your when you're inspired by things, when you're bringing something into the world based off things from the past it's it's the embodiment of the past brought into the modern time and there's a satisfaction in that as well as through embodying yourself through your work and it's a little bit different than it's a bit of an awkward transition but it's something that i just found fascinating that quote and it seemed to sum up a lot of the stuff i do because i do 
more traditionally styled things. You know, I'm not doing a lot of, well, I guess I am. Like that Brute de Forge aesthetic and stuff, although it's made to look rustic, it's not really based off anything in the past. But making things is, it's it's making things. I mean, it's it's taking something and putting it into the world. And there, there's philosophy that goes along with that. Yeah, I think there's um, definitely something special about kind of adding things to reality, if that makes sense. Like, I just read this book called A Place of My Own by Michael Pollan, and it's all about him, you know, being a writer. He's very, like, unhandy, doesn't really know how to use any tools, and decided to build himself a house, right? And so he talks about kind of adding stock to reality is so much different than what he does as a writer, because everything that he does is you know, digital, and yeah, he makes like copies of books, but he's not really him making it. And so this idea to him of doing something tactile and analog was just, you know, intoxicating pretty much. And so, you know, he spent two years and way too much money building it, but it was so just valuable to him in that way because you're adding something, right? And that's not something that a lot of people do. And it's not really something that people have access to a lot. And I feel like, you know, making things is the way that I kind of get that outlet oh yeah that's that's a fantastic point yeah you definitely adding to reality is the perfect the perfect term for that is you're you're birthing something that didn't exist before um except perhaps in your mind right and then all of a sudden it's an object that you can hold and manipulate and you know you've changed the world in this small way but to you it almost seems big it almost seems like a big deal that you've created this thing, and um, I think that's a really that's a really great feeling and a really great great point. Yeah, and especially when you sell something and you know it goes you know across the country or something like that, it's kind of interesting to think about something that you made in your studio or your shop or whatever, spend a ton of time on, is now you know in someone's house two thousand miles away you know, cooking them dinner or something, like with, in the case of a knife, you know, that they're using it and it's enriching their life and it's, you know, only doing positive things. And that only existed in your mind at one point. And now it's, you know, a useful tool that someone uses every day, right? That's just something that I, I love about it. Yeah. Yeah. And well, the craziest thing for me when somebody buys something is that an object that I created held enough value to them that they would you know, give something to me in exchange for it. Something that I believed, you know, held value in something that is almost a part of me. It's like they're validating me, right? And so, yeah, the idea that they would give something they have and that something that has value to them in exchange for something that had value to me and something that I made has always it's it shocks me every time and I actually haven't sold that many but every time it's still it still hits me on a sort of a different level that yeah something that I just made holds value to somebody else and I hope that you know they'll value it for a while yeah I mean all we do really as artists or you know creatives or whatever it is is providing value right whether that's a physical product or a YouTube video or something like that our goal is to provide value, whatever that is. And, you know, it's really difficult to do, but very, very, very rewarding for the reasons that you said. Definitely, definitely. All right, here's, here's a philosophy question for you. Why All do right. you, why, like, what's your purpose behind what you do? Is it more to leave behind a piece of yourself is it like coming from an egotistical side of you where you want to leave behind some of you, I mean, after you're gone? Or is it just for your own personal satisfaction? Or, you know, what what's your motivation behind making? It's definitely, for me, my personal... I don't really think about, like what you said, like leaving a piece of myself as much. Because, you know, even before I had ever thought of this as a career, you know, I'm still, you know, debating things like that but all that aside if I knew for a complete fact I could never do anything like this for a career I would still do it because 
like we were talking about before, it's very therapeutic. It gets me away from, you know, kind of negative habits, negative feedback loops. And it's just something that I find so much peace in. And growing as an artist is one of just the best feelings, you know, seeing your progression over a period of time. And it's huge anxiety outlet, like we talked about. And, you know, having that control over an area like a studio or a shop, just it kind of grounds me, I feel like, kind of how we talked about before. You know, in this world that's so hectic, I know for, I know whatever I'm doing, when I go home, I have my studio, I can make something, be by myself, you know, everything is where I leave it. And it's very, just very grounding. <laughs> I can't, I can't uh, think of anything better than that, but well, it's just very nice to have that. Let's be honest, no tool you ever put down is ever where you think you left it. That's true. For starters. That's true. 100%. But no, it sounds. It sounds like, yeah, you do it for your own satisfaction, and it's it's good for you. Um, as far as I go, like, I definitely am a little bit egotistical, so I hope to leave behind some type of legacy when I die. And, you know, part of that is obviously be your family and the people that you know. Part of that I do hope to be, yeah, the work that I've done. But I also hope to do something on a larger scale for the world. I don't know what that is yet, but I always feel like I should. And I hope to, you know, leave some type of resounding impact like that. But that's besides the point. Um, the real reason why I do it is because it, I feel like it has to be done. Um, I get, like, ideas in my head for things I want to make and things that I want to see in the world. And I can see it in my head. I can feel it. And it has to, it just has to get out, you know? And, um... I think that's a lot of the frustration I've been having lately is that none of my knives have come out how, like, none of the images in my head have come out right. And so that's building a lot of frustration for me. Except this last one. I made a, I made a knife recently with no plan, but almost just an image in my head, and I just worked straight to that. And it was super therapeutic. And I think that sums it up the best, is I just have to impart this image in my head onto the world and I don't know I think that's I think that's a really art like an artistic thing it's something that comes with more of the artsy side than of you know the craft side if you're a crafts person you may be thinking more of this person you may be thinking more of you know I want I want to make to put out a product whereas for me it's almost just an object that I need to exist and I think that's why I keep going back to the shop. I thought I thought about that question quite a bit recently. And that's my best rambly answer. Yeah, I think I think that idea of kind of a lot of the things that I make don't really turn out how I wanted them to. And it's it was a struggle for me at first, but now I've kind of realized how valuable that is because not only does it let me, you know, explore new things that I hadn't thought about before, like, you know, in shapes of pottery or stuff like that, but it also really kind of measures my progress as an artist. And I've just found a lot of value out of that. But also that idea of kind of working without a plan. I feel like sometimes our plans and, you know, when you say like, I'm going to make this knife today, and I'm going to finish it today, or, you know, I'm going to make 30 you know, bowls today or whatever it is, it kind of gets in the way of why you're doing the thing that you're doing because you kind of go from this mindset of I'm doing this because I have to or that it's therapeutic or that it's really my anxiety or whatever to I have to do this and I have to finish this task. So kind of checking myself and telling myself every once in a while like, hey, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing right now. You know, the weather is exactly how I would want it to be right now. I'm listening to the exact audiobook I would want to be listening to right now, but I'm still anxious, even though there's nothing wrong, right? And so I have to check myself and be like, okay, you're in the present moment. You're doing everything right. Just enjoy what you're doing instead of having this mindset, like I have to grow and I have to, you know, be better. And it's, that, that's, I think one of the hardest things for me is kind of keeping myself enjoying it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because the mindset of growth kind of gets in the way sometimes yeah I feel that as well uh, I put a lot of pressure I, th I think as 
uh, young makers, a lot of us, put a lot of pressure on yourself to move forward, to make, to make more, to make better. And I love it. I really do love that pressure. I've always worked better under pressure. Um, like, I get higher scores on tests than I do on assignments and stuff like that. Like, pressure, I thrive. But when I put too much pressure, eventually I do have to take a step back and do what I like to call reset projects. And that's what that knife last weekend was, is I had actually ended up with a giant crack down the spine. It was San Mai in the middle layer split when I took too long to put it in the oven. So, but yeah, I, I saw that on your Instagram. Like, yeah, that's a big crack. I've never, I've never had a crack that long. It was like three or four inches along the spine. Um, but anyways, I really love that knife. Actually, I cooked dinner with it last night. Like it, it, it works, but I couldn't sell it for sure. But the, those reset projects, I think, are the same ideas. Yeah, you center, you center yourself to the moment. I like to center myself to my own sort of creative mindset. I'm, I'm resetting myself and taking all that pressure away and just letting and, and reminding myself why I make knives and why I love what I do. And now, the second my steel gets here, I want to do my first ever batch. I want to try to make three knives exactly the same but with different handle materials so that you can kind of pick what you like. And now that I've sort of reset myself, I'm so excited to get into some monotonous and like business-like work. And I want to pour that pressure back on myself to make these knives exactly the same, to make them as quickly as possible, and to make them to a quality where I can sell them. So I, I've always loved the pressure. So when I, now that I'm reset, I'm really eager to pour the pressure back on, yeah. But I definitely know what you're talking about, centering yourself and living in the moment. And that's actually, sorry, I'll, see, I'll, I'll flip real quick. But that's something that happened to me once I started making, is I now do that, um, just in my life, not in the workshop so much. But all of a sudden, I appreciate so many more things around myself. I'll look around outside and just breathe the air in and appreciate or on my walk to school or actually one night we were out camping this summer in the mountains and I laid down like outside before I went to bed and like just appreciated the stars for a good two or three minutes like a weirdo but I love doing that stuff now that I'm now that I'm making it sort of changed my life yeah I think paying attention has been it it's really really difficult to do you know, living in the present moment, paying attention, you know, to your thoughts and stuff like that. It's incredibly difficult, but it's so rewarding. Like I have a very, you know, strict or maybe not strict, but very serious morning routine, I guess, and night routine, because I read this quote a few months ago. I'm going to pull out another quote, but it's, um, it's something like be, be regular. Yeah. Be regular and or orderly in your life. So you can be violent and original in your work. Oh. And that really kind of shifted my thoughts about kind of how I do things because, you know, traditional, you know, movies and stuff, they portray the artist as like, you know, someone that's struggling and, you know, has these huge creative outbursts and works at 3 a.m., all this Erratic. stuff, right? And it's, it's, I just don't think that's a super sustainable or healthy Thing. Like, I've done that before. It's fun, but it's not super realistic, I think. So being able to, you know, enjoy the present moment, you know, when you're out of the shop and, you know, I meditate and journal and all this stuff, like being able to kind of have a life that is centered or at least ordered in some way lets you be spontaneous in other respects, like in your work or, you know, you know, doing things that you normally wouldn't do in waking life, like paying attention to the stars or to the wind or stuff like that. Uh, and I find that all like of these... Hippie. <laughs> it is. It does kind of sound like that, yeah. It's but it's a bad story. It's, it's definitely something that I think has contributed to my art more than anything, is you know paying attention to the world around me and not being just like plagued by constant anxiety and thoughts and stuff. Because yeah. it just makes the process of creating so much more unique and dynamic, I think. 
man, you're just you're just full of good stuff today, aren't you? And you pull out <laughs> another quote just to, just to insult me, but that's I fine. Know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about <laughs> it. Um, but I think that's a really really awesome point, and it's something for me that happened because I started making. Is all of a sudden I want to live this healthier life and take care of myself, and I drink more water and I sleep. You know, I have a really good sleep schedule, way better than anyone else I know. Like I'm the weirdest yeah, teenager too, I know. No, I seriously. Like I didn't. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm so excited yeah, about it because yeah. I feel that seriously, hundred percent. Like definitely. Um, yeah, and drinking more water too. That's a that's a big one that's just made a huge difference in my brain. Um, like making has tuned me in to what's important within myself. And yeah, you'd mentioned meditating. I don't know anyone like many other people my age that meditate, but I like to occasionally. Yeah. And my favorite way to do it as well. I like to stretch like uh, before bed, I'll stretch and focus on my breathing for 10 minutes and then go to bed and I'll never sleep better because it's a complete like relaxation and I don't want to sound like a hippie again after I mentioned the stars thing, but you feel yourself like tune in to the energy of the universe. I hate that doesn't no, make I know sense exactly to what me, you're talking about. Like, 100%. There's something, there's a weird feeling you get sometimes when you focus inwardly properly and it is, it's a connection to something intangible. It's, it's indescribable and I should stop trying to describe it because it's not working, but yeah, and making yeah, it, has done that for me. It it, really it has. definitely has for sure. Like I get everything. Like when you when you make things or when you're trying to make it as an artist or you know, you're thinking about these things, it kind of shifts you away from living kind of as like, you know, a classic, you know, normal teenager, I guess. And that sounds weird, but you know what I mean. And it's you're kind of more focused on you know, what you're doing and how that's contributing to your future. Because I feel like people that make things at a young age think a lot harder about the future because there's so many different options. And it's like the different things you do, like, you know, setting up a good sleep schedule and getting active. Like the only reason that I work out every day, like I'll either go for a run or do a workout in my backyard every single day because it gives me so much energy Yeah. in the afternoon. You know, I can just like work all day. So... That's definitely something that I've, that came out of me wanting to produce art better. You know, drinking more water helps me stay, you know, more energetic, you know, the same as exercise while I'm doing my art. And just living a healthy lifestyle and doing things that are kind of, I guess, not normal for, you know, someone our age, like journaling or meditating or, you know, a good sleep schedule kind of makes you different yes but it's so helpful because then you can channel a lot more of yourself into your work and then it also makes the time that you spend away from your work a lot more recharging so like i've burnt out a few times and it's a terrible feeling burnout is awful yeah it is when i'm when i'm focusing on myself and i'm you know writing and i'm you know writing down these anxieties or or anything like that really kind of staves off the burnout it doesn't happen because i'm taking care of myself and then the art comes as a result of that so it's super helpful to have that kind of healthy lifestyle as an artist you just i'm just like grinning right now because like i've never heard someone put it so good everything i do since i don't i don't want to say since i started making because it was I don't know, maybe a year, once I started to get serious, and especially in the last six months or so, um, every single thing I do in life, choices I make, has all been guided towards growing myself as a person and as an artist. And so, like, lots of my friends work out now. I mean, we're 15, 16-year-old boys. Like, you know, you got to get ripped for the girls, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) But I started working out just to, like, make my body feel better. I, I don't get so achy anymore, like, in the morning. And I'll just, I don't work out for an hour straight trying to, like, get big pecs, but I'll do, like, a bodyweight workout for half an hour and then get a good stretch after and go to bed, and it feels great. 
right? And so everything, yeah, everything I'm doing, and it sounds like you feel the same, is just to try and center yourself and build yourself as a person so that you can do the work that you can see in your head and you can do the work that you want to be doing. And Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, it's so good for you. It's just so yeah. good for you. Like for your brain and your body and your soul and whatever else, it's just, it makes you feel just fantastic. And um, I've been out of the shop quite a bit over the past few weeks. I'm out of steel. So, you know, I just worked just last weekend. So I've worked, what, two out of the last 14 days. And I mean, during those two weeks, I've been eating more fast food. I've been you know, staying up a little bit, not much, staying up like half an hour later, but things, I'm already starting to act more like a normal teenager, thinking about how I look more, like spending more time on my phone, just in the last two weeks, because I've been working less, not even not at all, just less, so it does make a profound difference on who you are as a person, is that, that making. For sure, and I, I think so, something that's kind of that's grown out of making is shifting from a goals mindset to a uh, a systems mindset because it's like like you said like you're not working out to you know get this end result of being super muscular or whatever it is you're working out because you like to work out or because it makes you feel better right and there's nothing wrong with having goals right like if you work out every day like yes you are going to be healthy and you're going to look like the way that you want to but goals are so overrated i think because you're gonna burn out eventually or you're not gonna do the work that you wanna do because you're not seeing results, I guess. Cause like you can work out every day for a week and see nothing different, right? And you're like, okay, you know, that goal is never gonna happen and you kind of lose touch with that. But when you have a system and you kind of, you, you enjoy the system, the goals are gonna come later, right? Like the system of working out every day and I'm going to pull another quote on you. I think this is oh, the third of this episode. I was expect I was just about to ask if you had one actually. So good timing. This is my favorite quote of all time, maybe. <laughs> and it's uh it's from this book called Atomic Habits, which I'm rereading for the third time right now. Fantastic book. Probably one of the best self-development books I've ever read. And it's uh we do not rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. Just incredible because Ooh. Everyone's like sets out there like, okay, you know, let's use working out as an example. Like we said earlier, like if your goal is to look a certain way, that's fine, you know, but you're not going to get there very fast. So you're going to lose touch with that. But if you have a system and you like it, you're going to continue doing that. Or like as an artist, you know, if your goal is to be an artist, that is such a hard thing to one to, uh, like what what even is an artist to from person to person, right? Yeah. But then you can't really achieve that goal without having a system. And your system is what you do every day to work towards that goal. And when you fall in love with the system, you just don't even worry about it because you love what you're doing, you're finding fulfillment in it, and you're never gonna burn out on it. So yeah. I, I, I really do like that mindset. That kind of Mind, really small mind stuff shift that keeps you away from burnout and kind of keeps you healthy and keeps you away from because I'm really <laughs> I'm really prone to having like dark days because I'm not seeing progress because like with my art like if I haven't made anything in a while or I'm not you know growing on social media it you know kind of hurts if I lose touch with this system and if yeah, I'm not working too. out I don't see results I'm losing touch with that and like if I'm studying a language I'm not getting as good as as fast as I want to or if I'm learning anything everything that we do in life gets better as you compound and as you do it every single day but you know having the system where you do that and find joy in that should be the goal like doing the thing should be the goal not you know what comes out of that if that makes sense yeah wow that's you you just keep hitting me every time I keep I'm running out of ways to say that was a great point um (laughs) but that that was another great point man kind of rambly but oh you kind of you get the point I got it I definitely got it um and it's something that I've never thought of consciously before 
but now looking at myself and my habits um i think it sums up what i'm trying to do really really well i mean for example like there was a time when i said i got to stretch every night just you know i think it's good for you and that was sort of a precursor to starting to work out but i found that and i tried to do that before i used to do taekwondo so i really wanted to get more flexible to be better at you know my martial art um but this time i sort of just said like i, I want to do it as often as i can i want to get used to this i want to make it a habit and it were i still ended up eventually stopping and losing the motivation but it lasted a lot longer just because i wasn't strict i didn't say i have to do this every day i said just try to do it as much as i can and i've found that that looseness has worked a lot better for me and i think it must be because you're building a system and a habit rather than strictly sticking to a goal so that's a great point that's applicable to anything that you're doing uh for sure and that's how i play like last year i started playing basketball and of course all my friends have been playing for years and so over the summer i i just got into it and there's a hoop near my house so i would just go for an hour all the time and i got a lot better just because i built a habit of playing a lot and so and that's how i got better at knife making and everything so oh man awesome quote awesome point and awesome conversation up to this point uh we're right at the 1 hour mark and i'm starting i'm starting to ramble more and more often here <laughs> and more and more wildly so i think i should probably shut myself down before i embarrass myself here um do you have one more quote on hand that you can use or oh you got yeah I, let's I uh, let's, let's see let's see um talk when you're talking about your habits uh how that kind of builds you something that helped me was the the idea that your habits build your identity because kind of what you do in your day really does build your identity i guess like if you're you know drinking water you're someone that cares about your health or if you're drinking uh you know or yeah drinking water care about your health doing something active you know you care about fitness or doing your art you know you care about growing as an artist and there's this quote that's by James Clear again from Atomic Habits i think it's like everything that you do in your life is a vote on who you want to become and no one thing makes a huge difference but when the votes add up it changes your identity so if you go out you know and make a knife one time you know you're not a knife maker but if you consistently go out and you're building this habit for yourself to make knives or to be an artist or whatever it is you change your identity into someone that is a knife maker or you know same thing with fitness or something like that so i i'm a big fan of james clear as you can tell in that yeah. book atomic habits so very quotable. Well, I'm impressed that you can pull out quotes on demand. Uh you you actually reminded me I've got a quote here that's loosely loosely applicable. I'm not so good at this quote. So I'm a little new to this, but uh from who wrote the great I can't remember who wrote the great Gatsby, but it's from the great Gatsby. We had to read it in English. And one line at the very beginning, like I think it might have been the first page stuck out to me is that personality is a series of successful personality is a series of successful social interactions right so who you are is almost just you trying to do something over and over again until it becomes your personality and i thought that was such a cool way to describe it that you decide who you want to be based off how you interact with people and that's your personality to them and i thought that's really applicable to anything not just personality but and just it's almost the exact same as what you just said is who you are is the sum of what you do and what you yeah, know and sure. what you think right and so right and so personality action see if i say it enough times then i'm saying more quotes <laughs> than you right yeah man i i definitely think that our identities are kind of come from this you know making things as a baseline kind of the foundation because everything builds from that yeah 
Yeah, and who you are shows in your work. And just, here we go, here we go. All right, I just figured out how to wrap up this whole episode neatly. Who we are is what makes our work different from everybody else's. And that is what's valuable in the modern maker society and modern society and where we're going. And that sums up everything that we said all episode. Whoop-de-doo. Um... <laughs> So thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Sam, for coming on again. Um, and hopefully we'll have you on again sometime because, I, I mean, we probably could go for another hour. For sure, man. This is like, once we got into like the self-development stuff, I just like got all rambly, got so yeah. much to say. That's the end of it. I know, I can feel, I'm just excited. I'm like jittery over here because nobody else, whenever I try to mention these things to people, they sort of do the eye roll and like nod, the, yeah, nod it, their head weird. a little it's bit. Weird. But, yeah, it's it's definitely cool. And I hope that some of you guys out there listening can sort of identify with the things that we're saying. And I hope that, you know, this feels as relatable to you guys as it does to us. Because, you know what, being a young maker, you're a weirdo. <laughs> what can I say? Um, and you're stuck with that. So hopefully this makes you feel a little less weird. I hope you know that there's people just as weird as you out there. So... Yeah, thank you guys for listening, and until next time, stay weird.